The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Our scripture reading today is Leviticus chapter 9. Please stand with me as we read God's word together. Leviticus chapter 9. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, Take a male goat for a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering and an ox, and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offerings and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people, and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them, as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering he burned on the altar, as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin he burned up with fire outside the camp. Then he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. And they handed the burnt offering to him piece by piece, and the head, and he burned them on the altar." And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offerings on the altar. Then he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as sin offering like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar besides the burnt offering in the morning. Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail, and that which covers the entrails, and the kidneys, and the long lobe of the liver, they put the fat pieces on the breast. And he burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breast and the right thigh Aaron waved, for a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, and he came down from the offering and the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they had came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering, and the pieces of fat on the altar. 
And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Uh, blood, entrails, and sacrifices. Happy Mother's Day to you. And hopefully this doesn't ruin your appetite for the cookout that you're going to have for mom uh, after church today. Uh, this morning's sermon title is Acceptable Worship. Acceptable Worship. We're going to be looking at what we can learn about worship of the holy God, the living God, the God who consumes with fire, the God who the Hebrews author says is a consuming fire, the one who delights to reveal himself manifestly in his glory. If you are reading along with us throughout the week and you're reading Leviticus 9, you might be wondering what can we learn from this chapter. There is very much a real sense in which uh, seven days, if you remember, at the end of Leviticus 8, uh, Aaron and his sons were to go through the rites of the ordination ceremony that we saw last week. They were supposed to do that for seven days, and now we find them on the eighth day, right? So literally seven days have gone by, and now something is happening on the eighth day. But as I said, what we're going to do is we're going to learn something about what's going on when it comes to the worship of God's people that we can learn from Leviticus 9 on what makes our worship acceptable. If you want to encapsulate what I'm going for this morning from Leviticus chapter 9, you could encapsulate it with this main thought, that when we prepare to worship, so we are a people who are to come and worship the living God by preparing ourselves. So when we prepare to worship, how? In obedience to the Lord's word, so we can approach the living God in worship, in obedience to what he says worship is from his word, here's what we can be confident in. We can be confident in his acceptance, Yahweh's acceptance of our worship. Preparation, obedience to the Lord's word, and recognizing that in obedience to the Lord's word that centers on the atoning blood of a substitute sacrifice that we need in order to be made right with God, we will find our worship to be acceptable before our God. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to pierce our hearts with these words that we're going to hear from Leviticus 9, and then we will get into hearing what God has for us this morning. So let's pray. Father, I'm asking that you would take the words in front of us, Words written by Moses as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Words that you decided in your sovereignty we needed to know. Words we needed to hear. Words we needed to submit to and be changed by. So I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would use me as an instrument in your hands to proclaim the glories of our God, our holy God the glories of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that our eyes might turn to Him. Help us, Spirit, to do what you love to do, which is help us to obey the command of Hebrews 12, to look unto Jesus. May we see Jesus bright and clear this morning from, yes, a chapter such as Leviticus 9. It's in the name of this great King, our Savior, our Lord, our Christ, we pray. Amen. So here's what I want you to do. To get you into the right headspace of what is going on in Leviticus 9, I want you to consider this question here. 
How can someone know if their worship of God is acceptable to God? How can you know when you sing, when you pray, when you worship God, how can you know if someone's worship of God is acceptable to God? Or let's tweak that question a little bit. Let's make it a little bit more personal and let's ask it like this. How can I be confident when I gather on a Sunday morning and I'm singing and I'm praying, or throughout the week in my own private pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ, how can I be confident that when I worship him, he finds my worship acceptable? Is acceptable worship a matter of how robust it is? How high we raise our hands, how loud we sing, how excited we get during the gathering or in our own private pursuit, or Is it measured by degrees of excitedness, right? If I came in on a scale of 1 to 10 and this morning my excitedness for worship was 5 and below, Jesus doesn't find that very acceptable. But if you could say, you know, I I found myself more in the 6 to 10 range, does, does that make your worship more acceptable to God? Some of us are hoping that's not the answer because you came here this morning and your worship was feeble, and not by design, just life just sort of needs you in the stomach this week. You're suffering. You're hurting. Life is not going the way you had hoped for it to go. Cancer has come. Death has come. And it sort of sucked the wind out of your worship sails. And what you know in that moment is, yes, I have a desire to worship, but my worship is not robust. It's weak. It's feeble. Does that matter to a holy God that your worship might be feeble? Does it have to do more with being meditative or more charismatic in your worship? Or is it being more charismatic than meditative in your worship? Just what assurance do any of us have that when we worship Yahweh, He accepts our sacrifice of praise? You look to Leviticus 9, and on the surface of this chapter, it seems like this chapter is the absolute last place to find answers to those questions that I just asked you. You're like, I don't know what Leviticus 9 has to do with anything that you were just talking about. But what my hope is that you're going to see is that as the Holy Spirit leads us along, nothing could be further from the truth. It's actually true that Leviticus 9, as you just read it, it's as plain as the nose on your face, that Leviticus 9 is simply going through and recording the beginning of Israel's worship under Levitical law. Last week, God said through Moses, have Aaron and his sons, these priests do X. They have done X. Now the time has come to actually initiate the very thing that God said should happen. And so Moses writes it out. That is what is going on as you look at Leviticus chapter 9. But as we marry in the text this morning, my hope is that you and I will discover something true about what makes worship acceptable to God. We are going to discover this from Leviticus 9. You see, when we prepare to worship God, prepare to worship God, preparing our hearts, and we come before him in obedience to what he says worship should be, not according to our preferences, More upbeat music, more downbeat music. Drums, no drums. More contemporary, more rock, 
more meditative, more charismatic. Those are all simply preferences. That is not what I'm talking about today. If you're running and processing everything I'm saying so far through that grid, I'm asking you to control, alt, delete, get that out of your mind and have your mind reordered to what is being said here. God has said something about what it means for us, his creation, to approach him in worship that he finds acceptable. So when we prepare our hearts to worship him in according to what he has said is acceptable worship, then I am arguing that this reality will build up confidence in us that he will find our worship acceptable. And I'm just telling you that's exactly what we discover in Leviticus chapter 9. You see, in Leviticus chapter 9, Aaron and his sons are on the precipice of something. They're standing here on the edge, and Aaron finds himself about to lead Israel in worship of the living God for the very first time. And the question that should be lingering and I can guarantee you is lingering in Aaron's mind is this question. How does Aaron know that right now, after seven days of going through this purification process that we saw last week, Aaron wants to know, Aaron would be asking himself, how do I know that God is going to accept the worship that I'm about to give him? After all, remember who Aaron is. Aaron is the one who has led Israel in false worship. He is guilty of sin. Aaron was guilty of lying. Aaron was guilty of breaking the first two commandments when he made that golden calf and presented this false god to Israel and said to them, these are your gods. Direct violation of commandments one and two. So in this moment, what confidence does a sinner like Aaron have that his worship will be accepted by God? He's walking in obedience to what God is saying. He is worshiping God like God has called him to worship. Just like when you come, for instance, on a Sunday gathering, and you come worshiping, has the thought ever crossed your mind, does God find my worship acceptable? I mean, God knows all things, and he knows the interior of my heart and he knows the words coming out of my mouth to my children he knows the unsavory words i launched at the dog who wouldn't obey me this morning he knows what i said when i stubbed my toe when i was late this morning the things i said to my wife the things i said to my husband the things i said to my children the things i said to that guy who cut me off with the middle finger on my right hand this morning on the way to church how do i know that god will find my worship acceptable when I get there and worship him. You see, the answer from Leviticus 9, the answer from God's word, is that Aaron's hope was not, not in him. Aaron wasn't rolling up to the altar right now in Leviticus 9 and going through all those things that you just read, going, you know what, if I really nail this, if I crush it, do everything perfectly according to the ritual, that is what is going to make me acceptable for God. His confidence was not placed in what he could perform in this moment. Rather, listen, his confidence in Yahweh's acceptance of his and Israel's worship in Leviticus 9 would be found in obedience to Yahweh's word and specifically the certainty of atoning blood for his sin as he's coming and worshiping God. 
And as we will see, Aaron's confidence is to be our confidence, a confidence of acceptable worship that rests in atoning blood. So where does Leviticus 9 begin? It begins first with this first point. It begins with a people who come prepared to worship. They come prepared to worship. Look at your Bibles. Open it up. Leviticus chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Notice the preparatory kind of language that just exists in these opening verses. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, this is preparatory language, take for yourself a bull, calf for a sin offering, a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. Aaron, sons, this is what you need to do for yourself to prepare for worship. Then turn around and say to the people of Israel, here's how you prepare for worship. Take a male goat for a sin offering, calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering, an ox and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil. This is the language of preparation. This is how you, Aaron, sons, Israel, come before a living, holy God and offer worship to him. With these words, we see that God's people have come prepared to meet their God. They've come prepared to meet their God. The opening verses of this chapter record Aaron not only preparing sacrifices for him, but Israel coming and preparing sacrifices for themselves. Notice that they are not rolling into Leviticus chapter 9, rolling into this worship gathering unprepared. They didn't sit back and let Aaron and Moses do what they did back, or Aaron and his sons do what they did back in Leviticus 8 and be like, you know what, I guess we're just going to have to wing this one, and hopefully the Lord will find it acceptable. That's not what is going on. Instead, they recognize that in order to worship the living God in a way that honors him, they needed to come into the presence of this living God, having prepared themselves to do so. After all, Yahweh is Heaven's high king. We sing songs like this. He is the high king of heaven, is what we sing. And what do we know from the movies? You do not enter into the presence of royalty willy-nilly. When there is a king worthy of honor, worthy of respect, worthy of your loyalty, you don't just come ripping into the court, into the presence of the king however you want to. And if it's true of an earthly king, how much more is this true of the high king of heaven? That is what's going on here. The high king of heaven is promising, I'm going to appear before you today. You are my people, the royal subjects. The palace is the tabernacle. And God's people are coming to meet with the king. And God is revealing, this is how you come before me, the king, in a way that honors me. You must do so properly by preparing yourself. Now notice the invitation that exists in verse 4 and in verse 6. There's an invitation there. The invitation before God's people is found in the form of a promise. Look what he says in verse 4. Prepare to worship, promise, for today Yahweh, the Lord, is going to appear to you, he says. Verse 6, prepare yourself to worship. Why? Because this is what Yahweh, the Lord, commanded you to do. Promise so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. He's going to show up today. In other words, Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself because you are about to come face to face with the living, holy, high, majestic, 
king of heaven. So here's the question that any of us can ask ourselves in light of this text this morning. How did you prepare for worship today? How did you prepare for worship today? How did I prepare to gather this morning to worship the living God? The same God that was alive in Leviticus 9 is the same God that is alive this morning, May 8th, Mother's Day, 2022. How did you prepare yourself? Or beyond our Sunday morning gathering, how do you prepare yourself on any given day to enter into the presence of the living God and worship him? For many of us, here's how we prepared to worship. We prepared to worship by staying up late on Saturday night, making sure we had an inadequate amount of sleep to stay awake on Sunday morning. We woke up then on Sunday morning and buried ourselves in various forms of entertainment on our phones, and then we argued on the way out the door to the gathering about whose fault it is that we're late. And then we're sitting here right now this morning fuming half the time because of the argument that we had on the way to church, and then we're going to get up here in about another 30, 40 minutes, and we're going to leave going, well, didn't really get much out of that church service today. Not recognizing, it never occurring to us that the reason why we, quote, didn't really get much out of church today, end quote, is because we were our own worst enemy by failing to prepare to worship God. Now, I've said before that the Sunday morning gathering of the saints, what we are experiencing right now, what we are experiencing right now, Singing, prayer, confession, assurance, rehearsing the gospel, submitting ourselves to the preached word, focusing on Christ. This two hours out of your week is not the end all, be all of your Christian existence. If you say, I exist to get my body to church for two hours out of a week, and that is the goal of my Christian life, then you have aimed way too low. This is not the end all, be all of your Christian life existence. As gospel pilgrims on the narrow way, we have said and we have encouraged to consider this gathering to be like a fuel point. What I'm not saying is that this is not important. I'm just saying it's not the end-all be-all of your Christian existence. We gather together on a Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, when Christ Jesus resurrected from the dead to remind ourselves, to fuel ourselves. We pull into this gas station, so to speak, in order to pour gospel gasoline into our souls so that we might then turn around, roll back out these doors into the next six days and 22 hours where you find the end-all be-all of your Christian existence, rubbing shoulders with your neighbors, talking to them, praying for them, bearing witness to the Christ who has saved you, using testimonies like what we saw this morning in letting people know Jesus is a savior and he saves sinners. We pull into the gas station in order to have this gospel fuel poured into our soul so that we can go back out to the next week using and that fuel to continue trucking on. But if we fail to properly prepare for this fuel point, then it should be no surprise that we walk out these doors and just sputter along throughout the week. Because maybe we're not personally even seeking to pour gospel gasoline, right? If you approach 
a Sunday morning gathering as the fuel point for your soul. I need to get here, and it needs to get good so I can get what I need to get in order to get me through yet another week. We are aiming too low. It would sort of be like this. The high V is around the corner. Imagine you pull up to the high V. You need to go get some gas in your vehicle yourself, and you notice someone else pulls up next to you. They pull out a crisp $50 bill. They're going to go inside. They're going to prepay for their pump. They pay the attendant the $50. They come back out. You're just sitting there pumping your gas, and you're just watching them. Imagine if this person came out, pressed the 87 octane, pulled out the fuel handle, and began to just pull the trigger and just shoot $50 of gas all over the place. Like, what's this guy doing? $50 is done. He puts it back down. He goes, well, really didn't get much out of that $50 today. And you would look at them and go, yeah, I don't know that it was the gas station's fault that you just shot $50 worth of gas all over the place. It's not the fuel nozzle's fault. It's not the gas tank's fault. It is your fault, dear sir, because you failed to prepare to be fueled by doing this. Just even getting the nozzle into the gas tank. Many of us spiritually live and experience the same thing through our failure to prepare. Now, I cannot say a lot about this, but I want to preload you with some things so that you can go home and be some good Bereans. Two of the best ways to prepare to worship. So answer the question, okay, if preparing to worship is what I see here in Scripture, and this is right for me to do, not only in the public gathering, but even in private worship in my own life, what are some ways to prepare to worship? Here's at least two. One is by private worship. Worshiping privately throughout the week will prepare you to worship, not only privately, but also publicly when we gather with the saints. So the question is, what does private worship look like for your life? Secondly, it could be like this, praying before gathering to worship. When have you last prayed for the gathering? Not coming to say, Lord, give me what I need because it's all about me, myself, and I, and mine, and me, and mine, and me, and hopefully the pastor does something to scratch my itch and give me what I need. I mean, right, we're not talking about that. But coming and just saying, God, you're holy, you're living. I'm going to be gathering with other saints who are rolling into the gas station probably on empty, and we need you to meet with us. Will you meet with us? Prayer ended, period. I would argue that prepares your heart to worship. Because not only does private worship prepare us for public worship, but prayer prepares us because what we're doing in prayers are asking God to work through us in the worship we're going to partake in, okay? So from Leviticus 9, we see a people prepared to worship, which then leads to point number two. You see a people who are walking in obedient worship. Obedient worship. They have prepared, and now they're going to obey. Open your Bible. Look at verse 7. Notice the language that begins to be spoken there. Verse 7. Then Moses turns, looks at his brother Aaron, and says to Aaron, Aaron, draw near the altar. Offer your sin offering. Offer your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself as for the people. Bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them. Notice the last phrase there, as the Lord has commanded. We see this exact same turn of phrase at the end of verse 10. Scan down to verse 10. You will notice at the end of verse 10, as the Lord commanded Moses. If you go back up to verse 6, you see it there. This is the thing the Lord commanded you to do. Dotted all throughout these verses is Yahweh saying, do this as I've commanded. And what does Moses, what does Aaron, what do his sons, what does Israel do? They obey 
Yahweh's commands. The worship experience in this chapter was according to what God had commanded. Simple. In other words, the worship of God's people was an act of obedience, which is what worship has always been. It's been coming and just obeying the Lord and worshiping him in this way. So to enter into the presence of the holy God however we want is no light thing, as you're going to see next week when two of Aaron's sons, a guy named Nadab and a guy named Abihu, decide to approach God in a way not ordered and commanded by him. Sorry, John, to rob John, to pay John. Uh, It doesn't go well for them. And it's one of the more confusing times in the Bible because you're like, why did God just strike those guys down dead? All they did was just approach him in a way that just, you know, people make mistakes, but God is not going to talk about it in that way. It matters. Obedience to what God has said matters. In our day and age, obedience is on a low ebb. Ah, obey if you want to. No, there's not obey if you want to. If God has said it, we're called to walk in obedience to him. The point is that obedient worship submits to the word of God. His word tells us to sing praises, so what do we do? We sing. His word tells us to pray, so we pray. His word tells us to read and preach the scriptures, so we do. In short, worship is the people of God submitting to what God has told us to do, just as we are seeing here in Leviticus chapter 9. Thus, listen, walking in obedience to what God says worship is, to be, is one way that you can have confidence that God is finding your worship acceptable. So go back to our question, how can I know that when I'm worshiping God, he is finding my worship acceptable? This is part of the answer, obedient worship. When you say, what does God say that worship is supposed to be like for me? And when you read your Bible and discover this is what God says worship is to look like, and we walk in obedience to it, you can have confidence that your worship is acceptable before this holy God, because you're walking in obedience to what he said it should be should look like. That's one way to find the answer to that question. But notice that another way to have that exact same confidence, another way to have that exact same confidence is by recognizing that obedient worship is a blood-stained worship. Obedient worship is a blood-stained worship. Remember what Moses said to Aaron. Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and Make atonement for yourself. That's blood language. Make atonement for the people. Bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them. That's blood language. So what does it say? Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf. Blood language. The sons of Aaron presented the blood to him. Then Aaron dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. Then he killed the burnt offering and Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar doing the same with the sacrifices for the people and making these sacrifices remember what we said two weeks ago when we preached leviticus 1 and making these sacrifices aaron his sons the people it was a clear acknowledgement of their sin i'm a sinner it was an acknowledgement of their need for forgiveness i need my sins forgiven It was an acknowledgement of the truth that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. Thus, the reason why Aaron's worship, listen, this is the key point. 
you walk away with nothing else, walk away with this. The reason why Aaron's worship is acceptable, there's Aaron, he's before the altar, holy God saying, I will appear to you, the glory, my glory will manifest itself to you. And there's Aaron, Aaron saying, I know I've messed up, I know I have sinned. I know I have transgressed. I know I have broken the law. God gave 10 commandments. I couldn't even make it past two. I was crafting idols. I was lying. I was deceiving. I was calling people to worship false gods, to worship idols. Now here I am bringing a sacrifice of worship, a sacrifice of praise to this holy God. How do I know he, Yahweh, holy, true, living consuming fire will accept my worship right now. How do I know? How do I know? Aaron knows because his worship is centered on the atoning blood of another. That's how he knows his acceptable worship is going to be found acceptable before a holy God. This is Aaron's confidence. Aaron's confidence is not in ritual right now. Aaron's confidence is in reliance upon the blood of the substitute sacrifice that is lying before him. And just as Yahweh was satisfied in the atoning sacrifices we read about here in Leviticus chapter 9, how much more is he now satisfied in the final and forever sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his atoning blood for us. Listen, our confidence, saints, our confidence in the acceptance of our worship is anchored in the certainty of Christ's atoning blood. This is why the author says in Hebrews, we have confidence to enter into the Holy of Holies. I'm not making words up. This is just words right out of, out of the Bible. This is Hebrews chapter 10. We have confidence to enter the Holy of Holies. Go find Marty McFly, hop in your DeLorean, transplant yourself back into Leviticus 9. Step out of the DeLorean, go find the average Joe and Susie Israelite and ask them, let's go, let's sprint right into the Holy of Holies where this holy God is. They're like, nah, can't do it. I do not have access. I have no confidence to be able to go into the Holy of Holies. You're like, okay, that was a bit of a bust. So you go to the priests and you say, priests, can you do this? Your priests, after all, take me into the Holy of Holies so that I might commune and be able to relate with this holy God. And the priests are going to say, we can't do it. We're not allowed. We have no confidence to go into the Holy of Holies. So they turn around and look at the high priest. They look at Aaron and say, Aaron, you are the high priest, after all. Take us into the Holy of Holies. And he says, I will, only on one day out of the year. The rest of the time, I have no confidence to enter in to the Holy of Holies. That was the priesthood then. But the priesthood now, says the author of Hebrews, is you, me, we have every confidence in the world to go before our holy God, to come before him and enter the holy places by what? By the blood of Jesus. That's what he says in Hebrews 10. Because of this atoning blood, because of the sacrifice of Christ for your sins, you can come before a holy God. Now, for some of us, that lands on us like this. Ooh, great, I guess. And it's because the reason why the nearness 
of God to you is such a small thing is because the bigness of God to you is nothing. It's the bigness of God that makes his nearness knee-buckling. If you were just to take this afternoon and meditate on what the Scripture says about how big, how grand, how holy, how majestic is His name in all the earth, the way He's the creator, the sustainer, the protector, the redeemer, the nourisher, the one who shields us and protects us and gives us grace and mercy, is slow to anger, abounds in steadfast love, and moves towards us in ways we do not deserve. If you're just to meditate on those things, bigness meter of God will begin to rise and then you'll begin to have your knees buckle because you go that big God draws near to me and I can draw near to him yes that's the answer of the scriptures you sinful man you sinful woman can come before this big grand holy living majestic God why because Christ your atoning sacrifice has shed his blood and by you looking to him and saying, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness being attributed to my account. The Hebrews author says, confidence. That's where your confidence arises. So when you come into church on a Sunday morning and you begin to go, you know what? Like I'm feeling a little bit Aaron-ish this morning. I mean, I've screwed up. Like I haven't crafted a golden calf in the backyard, but man, I've crafted some golden calves in some other ways this morning. Like, what confidence do I have right now that my worship will be accepted before this holy God? If you're like, I'm going to buckle down, I'm going to raise my hands. I normally raise my hands this high when Charles is singing, but I'm going to go like, raise them really high. You know, I'm going to really mean it when I pray this time because I usually don't mean it when I pray all these other times. If your hope is being banked on you increasing excited fervor in ritual, you're banking on a false foundation. When you come with your feeble worship and say, man, I've pulled a majestic errand this week. And my worship is feeble. But praise God that my worship is acceptable because even in my feeble failure, my hope is built. It's built on nothing less. It's built on Jesus' blood. It's built on his righteousness. And there enters your priestly mediator taking your worship and mediating your worship before a holy God, making your worship acceptable before him. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And the author continues, and since this is true, we can now draw near. There's that language, draw near with what? A true heart in, listen, full assurance of faith. Truly, saints, our worship is a blood-stained worship. Our worship is a blood-stained worship, and here our confidence rests knowing that by the blood of Jesus we can offer, third point, acceptable worship. Acceptable worship, third point, last few verses. Look in your Bible, starting in verse 22. What does it say there, starting in verse 22? Then Aaron, he's the priest, high priest lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them and he came down from the offering the sin offering the burnt offering the peace offering Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting 
If you remember our first sermon, that's a big deal because Moses wasn't able to do so back in Leviticus 1. But here they are now entering into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. Listen, acceptable worship is mediated worship. Acceptable worship is mediated worship. In order for Israel's worship to be accepted before a holy God, there had to be a mediator. Had to be. Had to be. But we see this in Moses. We saw it now in Aaron here in Leviticus 9. But as we learned last week, neither Moses nor Aaron were the mediator we need. We need another mediator. They were merely shadows pointing forward to the substance of Jesus himself. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So now in Christ, we can approach our God in worship and offer up what Hebrews 13.5 calls an acceptable sacrifice of praise. Again, delorean yourself, Leviticus 9, Joe and Susie Israelite, they're coming before the altar. They're going to place their sacrifice on top of the altar, and as they do so, they're going to step back, and maybe they begin to talk to each other. How do we know this holy, living God who dwells in our midst? How is this holy God going to accept our sacrifice on this altar right now? The answer is they are going to look to the priest, the mediator, who will mediate on their behalf to the holy God, making their sacrifice acceptable before that God. And why does the author of Hebrews call now for New Testament people a sacrifice of praise? Because that's the sacrifices we bring. So how do you know, saints, if your sacrifice of praise this morning or any morning or any day of the week is going to be acceptable before God? It's acceptable through our mediator who is mediating our worship on our behalf. So if you come on a Sunday morning gathering and you offer up the most feeblest of feeble worship, but the feeblest of feeble worship was truly born out of a heart of, oh God, oh God, I want to worship him. Oh God, you're worthy of worship. Oh God, we need you. Oh God, I need you, but like I, my worship this morning, like it's not robust, it's not charismatic, it's not hands held high. Like I barely have the strength to lift my head, the suffering, the pain, the hurt. It's just, it's feeble. This is the feeblest of feeble worship, but Lord, you know my heart. You know the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, and what you know right now is my worship. Even though it might be feeble on the exterior, on the interior, it is born from a heart that desires to give you the praise and the worship you're worthy to receive. Guess what happens? Your mediator doesn't go, get out of here and come back when you've got more robust worship. He doesn't do that. He scoops up that feeblest of feeble worship, and he takes that sacrifice of praise, and your mediator goes into action, mediating your feeble worship on your behalf before a holy God by the power of his atoning blood. I don't know about you all, but that's good news for this guy because there's more times than not my worship is feeble. Amen? Anyone here ever had a little feeble, feeble worship going on in their life? Yeah. Okay. Good news? Yes? Okay. But don't forget what happens. Roll on to the verse 23. Don't forget what happens as God's people find further assurance in God's presence showing up. That's the last two verses there. God's people find assurance in God's presence showing up. The promise of God's appearance made back at the beginning of the chapter is now fulfilled here in these last two verses. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, just as was promised, 
and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. And when all the people saw it, they stifled a yawn and said, well, no. They shouted, yeah, and then buried their faces in the ground. A simultaneous expression of joy. Our God has shown up in our midst. And then the, oh no, God has shown up in our midst. And a fear of the Lord drives them in humility before their holy God. The fact that fire came out from, from before the Lord consumed the burnt offering, this was evidence that God truly accepted their worship. And shouting in joyous celebration and falling to the ground in a right fear of the Lord, this, friends, is the only proper response to the glory of the Lord appearing to the people. Go read Isaiah 6. Isaiah did not roll into the presence of God willy-nilly. He buried his face in the ground. Woe is me. When the fire from heaven fell in 1 Kings 18, it was those people who were not believers who began to shout, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is God, as that fire fell and the glory was revealed. By appearing in glory and fire, Yahweh proved, I am present in your midst. But just as the Lord, friends, showed his presence in Israel's worship at the tabernacle, he ultimately shows his presence with us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? This is why Jesus has the name Emmanuel, God with us. It's not just a fun little turn of phrase we sing at Christmas time. It actually means something, yeah? When you look at Christ, this is Emmanuel. This is God with us. The fullest manifestation of the glory of the Lord is seen in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. The apostle John says, Jesus is the word who became flesh and dwelt with us. If you know your Bible well enough to know, that word dwelt is the word tabernacled. So John is going back to what we're talking about and saying, hey, remember that one time when the people gathered around the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord appeared? But are we ever going to see anything more than just fire and smoke and cloud? Are we ever going to get to see the fullness of the radiance of the glory of the Lord. And John the Apostle, carried along by the Holy Spirit, says, yes, when you saw Jesus. He is the Word who became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And what have we seen? We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thus, He alone is worthy to be the center of of worship forever. So, go back to the question that I asked us at the beginning. How can we be confident that when we worship God, He accepts our worship? My hope is that you now know the answer. Whether your worship is robust, whether your worship is feeble, confidence in Yahweh's acceptance of your worship comes through Jesus, your priestly mediator. Whether your worship is robust or feeble, we can continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God because there is our mediator mediating our worship, robust or feeble, before God, making it acceptable through his blood. In other words, hear this, the acceptability of your worship 
has nothing to do with you. And all God's people said, amen. Because if it was up to us, guess what we would, have, would not have? We would not have acceptable worship. But we don't come banking on ourselves. We come banking on our mediator. And friends, I'm telling you, that is the good news of worship. Because what does it do? It frees you up to come and worship wherever you're at this morning. And that's what I hope God leads you to do as we turn to respond in the Lord's Supper and in song. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for revealing yourself. You truly are the glory of the Lord appeared. Thank you for being the mediator we need, mediating our worship before you, before the Father. Thank you for being the atoning sacrifice upon whom we rest our confidence. Lord, wherever we find ourselves this morning, would you enliven our worship in ways that make sense to where we are? As my brother prayed earlier, would you restore to us the joy of salvation and would that reality lead our bodies to express that joy in ways that make sense according to where we are in our journey with Christ? Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen.